0: You're listening to
1: the Getting Swamp Podcast,
0: your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. That is correct. Scared money does not make money, especially at the University of Florida. Welcome, folks, to episode three of the Getting Swamp Podcast. This is none other than your boy. David Soder-Kois. But first off, uh, before we get into the game changers, I, I, I'm going to discuss game changers and phase two identity on this podcast. But first, before we even start off, as Gator Dave would say, we got to commit. Yes, sir. Four star Arliss Boardingham commits to the University of Florida over Oregon, a six foot four, 220 pound athlete from California, ranked as the 492nd player nationally. On the 24-7 sports composite and a four-star per 24-7 sports, their loan rankings as well. A three-star per rivals, a three-star per on three. So pretty much across the board, he's a three-star 24-7, giving him a little bit more credit here with a four-star. He runs a 4.65-second L-cone drill and has a vertical of 33.8 inches. These are all verified stats per 24-7 sports. Uh, and, and let's be honest, man. It's something you like to see. Some thought he was a heavy Oregon lean. I did. I thought he was going to Oregon. I mean, losing California. Oregon's right up the street. I honestly thought he was going to Oregon. Instead, he shocked me a little bit and chose Florida over Oregon. So Florida once again competes against a powerhouse recruiting program known for hitting top recruits. A kid, like I said, all the way in California, who chose traveling thousands of miles out of the state to come to Florida instead of just going right up the road to Oregon. Florida has now won recruiting battles against Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Notre Dame and now Oregon in a transition class. Can we say recruiting is getting fun again? That's it's crazy for a transition class. You're competing with the most prolific programs that are always in the top 10 or top five every year in recruiting. And you're taking kids away from them. That's great. Now it could be because Mario Cristobal left Oregon, went to Miami, but the kid could have went to Miami and followed Mario Cristobal there. He's already going to Florida, right? So Florida actually competed against Oregon and Mario Cristobal and and got this kid to come to the University of Florida. So hats off to Billy Napier and the staff, man. They're really, really, you know, giving us hope, especially for the 2023 class, man. I I just, this staff is just amazing in so many ways. I I can't even say it. But right now, let's, let's get into the game changers part of this podcast. And first off, what is a game changer? You know, when the title first came out, I I kind of laughed a little bit when it said "game changer coordinator." I was like, "What is game changer coordinator?" What <laughs> you have to be clear and tell us what a game changer coordinator is. And uh, apparently, it's special teams, and 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 that's true. And and I like the fact that Billy Navier tabbed that title "game changer." Everybody thought it was silly; they laughed at it. But if you look at it, you think about it. Special teams, and I've said this a lot: special teams change the outcome of a game consistently. And I and I I don't know how many times I harped on special teams when Dan Mullen was the head coach here and how it could have saved us in so many games. And, you know, finally, we're getting a good emphasis on special teams. Now, let's see. Let's go back to the 2006 game against South Carolina. Everybody quote unquote that the cock block game. <laughs> and that's not for me. And excuse the language on that one because I try to keep it clean here. But every now and then maybe something slips out. Go back to that game. Without those blocked Field goal attempts. We we don't win that game. We don't go to the national championship. We don't play Ohio State and blow them out and blow out fashion and win a national championship, losing to South Carolina in that game. Let's look at this year. Look at the Kentucky game. You lose the game twenty to thirteen. What would have happened if maybe we had a kickoff return for seven points? Twenty to twenty right there. We're in a tie game against Kentucky and we have a chance to win the game. Minus some some missed field goals there too. Could probably win the game. Look at the Alabama game. Thirty-one to twenty-nine. Now, if we had a good kicker, which we do have one coming in next year, probably win that game too. Get to the 50 yard line and then you really need a field goal. Kick that. You win it. You win it by 32 to 31 there instead. Anyways, special teams in close games. Decide the outcome. Look at the look at the Bengals right now. Evan McPherson. He's he's a he's a hero over there right now because I'm telling you right now, the Bengals aren't getting the Super Bowl without Evan McPherson. They're probably not even getting to the playoff. So, special teams matter, especially in close games, or even even in games that are like, you know, we never blow anybody out, right? And Steve Spurrier said it best: we we hardly blow anybody out. But he was at South Carolina when he said that. I'm pretty sure he would be saying that right now at the University of Florida. But look at these close games we had with Sanford, a, a, a game that should have never even been close. Uh, just look at all the close games we had last year. We're not even having heart attacks against teams we should beat if the special teams is is on point and they're doing their job. And everybody else obviously has to do their job. You don't have to have heart attack games anymore with good special teams. So anyway, I compared, I did a lot of stat digging, and I compared Billy Napier's last four years, which he's only had four years as a head coach. So that's all I have to compare right now. This is all the data that I've got. And I compared it against Dan Mullen. And, and, and it's not a knock on Dan Mullen. And it's not a knock on the staff. I'm past that. I'm not, I'm not going to knock the staff anymore. It, it's done and over with. I'm just comparing what Billy Napier did at Louisiana Lafayette and how he could probably, you know, possibly improve the, the special teams here at the University of Florida. So I compared Billy Napier's last four years at Louisiana Lafayette to Dan Mullen's last four years at the University of Florida. And I know a lot of you guys are going to say, well, Sunbelt doesn't have that great of kickers. So you have more attempts in the Sunbelt, which you do, that is true. SEC punters and kickers, they're kicking it out of the end zone, and there's less attempts, and I I get that. So what I did is I also compared Florida to the SEC last year. And if you go to my site, getinswamp.com, I have a chart there. If you go to the blog section, because I don't really do blogs, but I use that section to post all of my stats. So if you go there, it, it will show you where Florida placed in the SEC last year in 2021. And now I will do all four years under Dan Mullen compared to the SEC last four years even though that there was coaching changes among SEC schools, we're still going to do that and see where Dan Mullen placed in the last four years. So that stat's going up there as soon as I get done with this podcast, but Billy Napier from 2018 to 2021, his four years combined 265 attempts, 4,236 yards, 21.7 yards per attempt on kickoff returns, 6.2 yards per attempt on punt returns. So between punt and kick, 15.9 15.9 yards per attempt between total kickoff and punt return yards. 50 fair catches. So, you know, I don't think fair catches even really matter, but I put this stat out there anyway, just for food for thought for anybody. Three touchdowns. So now Florida special teams under Dan Bull between 2018 and 2021. And it's, uh, It's bad, folks. Uh, 147 attempts, so he had about 120 less attempts than Billy Napier did in four years, which I said more kicks go out of the end zone in the SEC. There's better kickers in the SEC. 1,707 yards, so in four years, Dan Mullen had like one-third of what Billy Napier had at Louisiana Lafayette. 16.3 yards per attempt between kickoff returns, which is about five yards less than what Billy Napier had, but he actually outdid Billy Napier on punt returns he had eight yards per attempt on punt returns so between kickoff and punt returns 12.1 yards per attempt between kickoff punt returns for the past four years 104 fair catches so he had double the amount of fair catches that billy napier did and only two touchdowns so he had one less touchdown than what billy napier did as well so i did an sec comparison in 2021 like i said if you go to my site you can see the full chart you can see everything florida would place ninth in the SEC. With 579 total yards, which would actually be Mullen's best season between kickoff and punt return yardage. Let's look at 2018, he had 460 yards. 2019, he had 255 total yards for the whole year between kickoff and punt returns. 2020, 413 yards. So this is his best year, 579 yards. His best year ever at the University of Florida. Ninth in the SEC. Not good. Not going to get it done. Florida would also place 13th in the SEC in total yards per attempt. 11.8 yards per attempt. Like I said, I have these stats posted on the site. Now let's compare Bowen to the last head coach, old peanut butter and jelly. You remember uh, Jim McElwain, shark boy, peanut butter and jelly? Let's go look at Florida's special teams the past seven years. Under Jim McElwain in 2015, 1,139 yards, two touchdowns, Twelve point four yards per attempt. You guys all remember Antonio Callaway, one hell of a kickoff returner, by the way. Before Antonio Callaway, obviously there's Andre Debose, which was even a, an even better kickoff returner. There, 2016, eight hundred forty-seven yards, one touchdown, fifteen point four yards per attempt, and in 2017, six hundred thirty yards, zero touchdowns, sixteen point one yards per attempt. So Jim McElwain's total over the three years that he was here at the University of Florida was 2,616 yards, three touchdowns, 14.6 yards per attempt in his three years. Go to Dan Mullen. (laughs) I already read the stats over the last four years for Dan Mullen, so we'll just do his total. 1,707 yards, two touchdowns, 11.7 yards per attempt. So in three years, peanut butter and jelly, this is three to four years. I'm comparing Jim McElwain's three years to Dan Mullen's four years. In three years, peanut butter and jelly, Jim McElwain outgained Mullen 909 yards a touchdown and had 2.9 more yards per attempt than what Dan Mullen did in four years as the head coach at Florida. So if you want to be fair, Dan Mullen just wasn't good at special teams. Didn't emphasize special teams. He didn't emphasize a lot, but special teams was one category that he did not. I I don't understand why Freddie Swain was returning kicks. I, I understand he wanted a guy that could catch the ball and be reliable, well, why wasn't Kadarius Toney doing this? Kadarius Toney would probably have been one of the better kickoff returners. I mean, they stuck Brandon Powell out there, for crying out loud, Jim McElwain did, on some on some attempts. So, you know, you saw a little bit of Kadarius Toney in 18, 19, and then 20, and, you know, 2020 had a kickoff return. He took it all the way against Kentucky in 2020, but you didn't really see Kadarius Toney until those last couple of years there in Dan Mullen's offense. So, as far as special teams go, you, you know, like I said, the, the, I think it's honestly going to get better with Billy Napier, and I like the fact that he has certain coaches on certain parts of the field coaching certain you know, positions. I, I, I like the fact that he's not putting too much on all of his staff members. Like I said, he built an army to do this. He, he wants every facet of the game to be concentrated on, and he wants everything to be specific. So that, that, That's how you have a successful team. You have to be able to concentrate on one thing at a time, and if you're concentrated on one thing at a time, it works wonders instead of having to try to do three different things at one time. So anyway, game changers. Now let's get into the kicking game. You know, kicking was not good last year. We all know it wasn't. Jace Christman was not the best kicker. Uh, you know, Evan McPherson goes to the NFL. It was actually unexpected that he would go to the NFL. So I, I, I'm assuming, you know, Dan had to go, obviously had to go to the transfer portal, get somebody, but I'm assuming Dan didn't expect that either. So I don't know. Uh, I have no clue how that happened or when it happened or whatever, but, that, you know, Dan Mullen really had no choice, so he had to go to the transfer portal and get a kicker. So let's go into the kicking game. Throughout Florida's history, the most accurate kicker when it came to field goal attempts was Eddie Pinheiro. I miss Eddie. do you guys remember him? He was the best. <laughs> we, I think we had Austin Harden before him, and it was just terrible. Our kicking was so bad, and then we got Eddie Pinheiro, and lo and behold, man, one of the most accurate Florida kickers. He would In his career, at Florida, in 2017, making 88.4% of his field goals for 170 points in field goal points. In 2018, the guy that came after Andy Panera would be Evan McPherson. He would be Florida's fourth most accurate field goal kicker, making 85% of his field goals for 128 points, ending his career in 2020. Dan Mullen, as I said, would grab Jace Chrisman from the transfer portal, a Mississippi State transfer who would go 18 for 19 on extra point attempts, but only three for six on field goal attempts. Chrisman would also rank 26th out of the 31 kickers from 1976 to 2021. So not very good in the kicking game last year at all whatsoever. So does Florida turn to in 2022? A five-star kicker. Protocols Kicking, the site that ranks kickers by the name of Trey Smack. He played only in five games from 2019 to 2020 with a punt average of 37.2 yards, a kickoff average of 32.4 yards. His longest punt would be 58 yards, and his longest kickoff would be 65 yards. He is the fifth-ranked kicker in the nation and the 15th-ranked punter in the nation. Trey Smack also placed first in kickoff yardage and fifth in field goal kicking, over 100-plus kickers in the Coles kicking camp. So, Florida, man, getting one hell of a kicker here. And if you go to his YouTube, you can watch a video of Trey Smack booing 60-yard-plus field goals. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to be the most accurate kicker when he gets here and light the whole world on fire. I'm not saying that, but anything's better than what we saw last year. (laughs) Let's be honest. Last year, Jace Chrisman and Chris Howard, between the both of them, would go 49 of 51 on extra point attempts and only 10 of 15 on field goal attempts, only making 66.7% of their field goals for the season. They were 75% on field goals ranging from the 20 to 29 yard range, 100% in the 30 to 39 yard range, 50% in the 40 to 49 yard range, and 33% in the 50 plus yard field goal range. So not, not very good to be honest, man. Just uh, terrible kicking last year. In the years prior, Florida would be 79.2% in field goals in 2020, 89.5% in field goals in 2019, and 90% in 2018. So as you can see, there's been a huge drop-off in field goal percentage from 2018 to 2021. So uh, getting an elite kicker by the name of Trey Smack will hopefully shore up some of these accuracy and distance issues. Now, of course, he's still going to have to be accurate. The kid has a leg. He's got a leg. Let's Let's be honest. Hopefully, we can get us another Eddie Pinero in Trace Mack coming in 2022. So uh, that's pretty much all I have for special teams. I'm going to look at the four-year SEC average between special teams when Dan Mullen was head coach, and I'm pretty sure it's probably going to be dead last, but I will put that chart up there on gettingswamp.com. Go to the blog section. I have a lot of stats and a lot of charts there that I will post throughout the time that I you know any kind of spare time that I have because I love stats and I'm a big stat nerd so fan questions from Facebook this one comes from Ryan Parker which players should be featured at punt return and kickoff return Fenley Lingard Bowen etc well I would say most of the people think Fenley Graham is going to return kicks let's see these varsity totals from high school here 1686 kickoff return total return yards between kickoff and punt return so he's a Really good kickoff and punt return specialist. Um, It looks like, you know, him bringing in Montrell Johnson here, you know, if you go back and you look, and and I did some research on this question before I answered it. If you go back and look at Louisiana Lafayette when Billy Napier was there, most of his return guys, most of the guys that got attempts were either running backs or cornerbacks. So, you know, Finley Graham played cornerback in high school, but he did play special teams as well. He did a lot of things in high school, very athletic guy there. So I would expect him to be the 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 return guy. I also look out for Montreal Johnson a transfer coming over from Louisiana Lafayette as well. He didn't really use him in the return game, but I would expect you you know to for him to he's going to get an electric player to return kicks. It's just I would expect maybe somebody from that corner or running back position. I I would more consider running back considering that, you know, the cornerback position there is is we We'd rather have the cornerbacks play a defense than taking hits, kicking returns or doing all that other kind of stuff. So I would say Fenley Graham, look out for some of these running backs. It could be between anybody. If if I had my choice between Bowman, Lingard, Johnson, uh, I would either say Johnson or Lingard. Lingard's more of your smaller back that is has got more speed. So I would rather have Lingard returning kicks more than, you know, being a running back, a solid running back. You want DeMarcus Bowman back there. That kid is a five star nutcase of a of a running back, dude. That that kid is is electric. He's is his acceleration at the second level is is none other. So you want to save Bowman for that running back position. So I would say mm, Fenley Graham maybe uh, Lingard here as well. So that that would be my picks. But we we don't even know, man. I, I, honestly, that's just me throwing something out there, and it, it may sound silly to a lot of other folks. But it, just looking at the history over at Louisiana Lafayette. Looks like he uses more running backs returning kicks. He does some wide receivers too, but uh, as as thin as we are wide receiver, we need those guys out there. So I wouldn't expect him to put a wide receiver back there, but we'll see. We'll see. But that's that's my suggestion here. Now we have a voice memo message. So if you go to my site, right at the bottom right corner of the site, there's a little microphone there. So if you want your voice to be heard with a comment or a question on the podcast, You can send it my way, and keep it clean, obviously. It says that in the description, but here comes a message from Nick Marshall. I know that's not the Nick Marshall that used to play at Auburn or anything like that. I'm sure he gets that a lot, by the way. Sorry, but let's go ahead and play this voice message real quick. I just want to say, I think everyone's being a little, little too much. I know it's a transition class in Miami, and LSU are also in transition class, but I think they did pull, you know, pull some good guys. I know that some of them
1: were a little weren't as high as you know what we were expecting, but you know, it's just smoke a blunt, and I think uh, your recruiting process as a fan will be much better. <laughs> well,
0: well, Nick, uh, a lot of fans have different methods of relaxing, and I guess that's one of them. Uh, if you if you engage in that sort of activity, but uh, yeah. Definitely, I I would definitely relax with this uh, with this uh, recruiting staff, man. Um, it's a different staff. It's a staff that we've never seen in, in a long time at the University of Florida. It looks like they are uh, really really getting in some of these kids here to the University of Florida. The first visit weekend that they have, they already have thirteen top one hundred guys, and these are five star and four star top one hundred top fifty guys coming to the University of Florida. Out of twenty one of the visits so far, so I don't I don't think we've ever had that kind of a talent pool visiting Florida just on the first visit weekend. So definitely, if you're a Florida Gator fan, you're worried about special teams or recruiting, definitely relax. And if that's one of the methods that you use to relax, (laughs) do it, please, because we don't want any fans on Twitter. We know how Rowdy can get out there on social media. Please do not tweet players. Please do not go after them. That's, That's one thing I do ask of you guys. You can have an opinion, but just relax, like Nick Marshall said. All right. Questions from Twitter. This one comes from Lucas Mann. Why do you think special teams was so bad last season, and was it a blip? Well, we kind of went over that already statistically, but, uh, you know, first of all, you didn't recruit. You didn't have the athletes out there to do it. Second of all, you had the wrong guys back there. I mean, we all saw what happened with the, you know, the Jamarcus Weston experiment. That was that was not a great experiment at all, and I don't really want to see that. And, and you stuck Lloyd Summerall Back there one time for a kickoff return, which actually was funny because he had the longest kickoff return by far the whole year for a second. For a second, he had one one return for twenty yards. Xavier Henderson, and and it's not a slide on Xavier Henderson. Xavier Henderson just looked really slow back there. He wasn't fast. Uh, he's more of a receiver. He's he's made for the receiver role. He was a top one hundred wide receiver coming out of high school. He's made for to be a wide receiver. He's not made to return kicks. So I don't even want to see Xavier Henderson back there. First of all, because you're risking injury. You don't want your wide receivers injured. You, you need your wide receivers. Second of all, he wasn't getting it done. Malik Davis was getting it done way better than anybody there. He had 319 yards on 14 return attempts on special teams. You should have just had Malik Davis returning kicks the whole time. You already had a stable of running backs. You already had Damian Pierce. That was, you know, you only gave him seven attempts a game. But, you know, you had him. You had Naquan right. You had Bowman back there. You should have just kept Malik Davis on special teams because he was actually pretty productive on special teams. He was the faster guy out of everybody. So, kind of the lack of choosing the right guy on special teams was part of it. And the other lack was just not recruiting that well. So I I think it was a blip. I think that Billy Napier will, uh, you know, with the transfers coming in, and then you know you got Finley Graham. You got you got you got star talent back there that can return kicks. So I I don't particularly know exactly how he's going to do special teams, and I'm sure we'll find out later on in the practices and spring practice and all that, how he's going to deal with special teams and people returning kicks and all of that. So it's just the special teams was just bad all the way around when it came to kicking and, and blocked. We didn't block anything. I think we blocked one extra point last year. If I go back and look at it, but that was about it. You didn't really block anything else. You didn't do anything. And it's, it's just been abysmal ever since Dan Mullen was head coach. Let's be honest. And that's, that's just the cold hard facts. So I I think it was a blip and I think it will be a lot better this year, especially when you have coaches, like I said, concentrated on one thing and one thing only. When you can concentrate on one thing, you can make it the greatest thing ever. Instead of having one coach do running back special teams and this, that, the other. It's just, it's, it's insane. You got to hire a coaching staff, man. And Billy Napier's done that. So I expect there to be a good emphasis on special teams in every other position. So I, I do expect it to get better. Thank you, Lucas, for sending in that question. All right. Phase 2. Billy Napier took to the media at 11:30 on a Friday talking about Phase 2, the identity phase in his presser on Friday. And we will get back to that on the second part of this podcast coming up. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White and Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs with state of the art paint and epoxy. You can have that glow of your sign too with some custom leds as a package as well give him a shout out on twitter at ws Woodcarving. you can also follow him on twitch and check out his facebook page at white and sons wood carving top of the line signs made from scratch you're listening to the getting swamped podcast with your host david soderquist your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators.
1: Uh, we're moving into phase two, the identity program. It's 25 days total. It's 23 days prior to spring break and then two days once we get back. And, you know, I think we're trying to really want the players to have 100% focus and attack the work, Right. Uh, we kind of define this for the players, right? Identity is the qualities and beliefs uh, that make a group different than other people. And uh, I think every team around the country does an off-season program. We would like to think that ours um, is an advantage, uh, that we do it better. Uh, and then we have a very specific plan in this area right so the key here is that the players make a commitment to do the prescribed work the right way you know really believe in the power of routine structure discipline and certainly this this workload will challenge the self-discipline of the players right we need to control the controllables and uh, we need to work hard to create the identity of our team and that starts inside out right it starts with the players as people, we all know that significant change is always made from the inside out. So um, we'll start this process today. This is number one. We'll do 15 of these. So we look forward to it. You heard it, man. 25 days total of a procedure.
0: Attack the work with 100% focus. Not just do the work. He said attack the work with 100% focus. Doing it better than anyone in the country. This staff is focused on being the best in the country. Not just the SEC, but in the country. Obviously, something you want to hear. Discipline is a huge issue with the last staff. It was. I I don't have to go back to the shoe throw or anything like that, but holding kids accountable for their actions was a complete misfire with this last staff. And implementing something like this prior to any mistakes on the field or off the field is definitely a good step in the right direction. Also, players making the commitment to doing the work the right way. No taking shortcuts, no doing it later, no doing it now, doing it the right way. No showing up to practice late or not in the right clothing, presenting yourself the right way, building that character. Creating an identity with structure and discipline inside and out. Something you also like to hear as a parent bringing your kid to the University of Florida, especially some of these kids who don't come from great upbringings, being somewhat of a father figure to these kids, help them, you know, to help them later on in life when it comes to challenges at home or outside of home. In this case right now, on the field and outside of the field. Structure and discipline. I mean, if you went on the Gator Collective space last week, Justin Shorter and Trading were on there. Trading answered most of the questions. He was asked, well, what position do you think you're going to play? Safety, whatever, with this new staff? And he said, I don't know. I don't know yet. We haven't even talked about that. Right now we're on the identity phase and we're going to start the identity phase tomorrow. So this staff's not jumping too far ahead with these kids. This staff is saying you're going to concentrate on this one thing for 25 days. You're going to attack the work with 100% focus. If you don't have 100% focus in anything that you do, it's a complete mess. It's a complete debacle. So really cool to hear that from Trey Dean that you know that the staff actually is
1: doing what they say that they're doing. You know, we're trying to teach a set of values here. Um, you know, integrity is important, right? I think that this program will challenge your integrity because you're going to have to tell yourself the truth, right? You're going to, you know, you're always having to answer that question: Am I doing the very best that I can do? Am I cutting a corner that nobody knows about or not? Right? Am I living a lie? Whatever the case may be, um, get you know. I think honesty is a big component here. Um, I think that we want to have a, a team that's together, um, you know, a, a group that's selfless. We want to have guys that are known as being great teammates. I think this, this game gives you that opportunity, um, discipline, effort, toughness, uh, and then a certain level of belief, right? I mean, I think that's what we're trying to establish here uh, is our identity as, a, as an organization, as a football team. We want to compete with those things in mind. When people talk about our team, we like to think they would talk about those traits. Teach a set of values.
0: Not just one value, a set of values. Integrity. Always having to tell yourself the truth. Are you cutting corners? Are you living a lie? As I mentioned prior, cutting corners is not going to be done against any kind of competition, or in life for that matter. At the end of the day, you can cut corners and possibly get away with it. But are you telling yourself the truth? Being honest. Having integrity. Billy stated he wants a team that's together and selfless, having a certain level of belief. We saw this last year. After the tough losses to Alabama and Kentucky, this team was not the same again. They were not mentally tough to finish the rest of the schedule, hence the 6-7 and record. So Napier really emphasizing toughness, discipline, and effort, even when things get tough and your back is against the wall. What do you do? Do you lay an egg to South Carolina, or do you stay focused and smack them in the mouth like you should have done? Napier also saying when people talk about their team, they want to think of them having the biggest form of integrity and discipline. Going back to phase two a little bit,
1: is it fair to say that phase two is, is somewhat about getting the players comfortable with embracing struggle? Yeah, no question. I mean, that's um, – we want them to to take it on, right? We want them to embrace it. And uh, we're trying to build momentum towards spring practice. Um, you know, we'll start – Position meetings today, right, it's a part of it. Um, You know, each one of these 15 days, we'll have a position meeting. You know, we'll start implementing some football uh, into what we do. You know, that's kind of part of that transition into spring practice, which will start March the 15th. So, um, yeah, definitely part of it.
0: You heard it, getting the players comfortable with embracing struggle. Struggles are going to come in football for every team. How do you embrace it and get comfortable enough with it to the point to where it doesn't become an obstacle and more of a problem you know how
1: to control? Uh, coach, have you, in the process of interviewing all these players, starting your, your February drills, et cetera, are you seeing some alpha males kind of step forward that, that you know are going to be leaders, and can you identify any that maybe you've been impressed with as real leaders for this team going forward? Yeah, I definitely think that um, there's a consensus amongst the staff and and, uh, even the players, right? I mean, that's really what matters is, you know, who are the players that are respected. And I think the big – we we have a little bit of a pulse of who those guys are. I think we spent a lot of time talking to the team about – you know, the, the way you put yourself in position to be a leader is you do that with your example. It's the most powerful tool that we have for them to be consistent, for them to establish some credibility. So down the road here, when they do speak up and we give them that platform and that opportunity that they can uh, be impactful. So we're in the process of figuring out all that out. I don't know if I'm quite ready to to say that specifically. I think that we're going to learn that over the next 25 days. So, um, you know, today will be the first opportunity for us to observe that, you know, live and in person, and we look forward to it. Who are the
0: players that are respected? Can you name a guy that was a leader last year? I can think of one. Zachary Carter comes to mind. Ventral Miller possibly. But where was that alpha dog mentality? Nowhere to be found with the last staff. Being lazy, not caring for the players, the personnel, the parking tickets racking up like crazy. It was a dumpster fire of a mess waiting to happen. Uh, definitely will not see that with this staff whatsoever. Napier also talks about what goes into being a leader a little bit. The way you put yourself in position to be a leader is when you're a great example. Establish credibility and getting that platform. Establish credibility with the teammates around you getting a platform around them to be a leader you get that platform by being positive being a fantastic player on and off the field and being that voice so anyway that was just the you know some of the clips and nuggets from the phase two press conference from Billy Napier there were other questions asked as well not pertaining to phase two process but I really just wanted to touch and cover just on the phase two parts of the presser on Friday but folks that will do it For this episode of Getting Swamped, I'll be updating the site more with some statistics in the blog section for you folks to look at and really kind of break down where Napier can improve this team going forward. But thank you folks for listening to episode three of the Getting Swamped podcast, your latest in football statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to Getting Swamped.